Tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy, and I am so excited because we have a fun summer series where we have brought back all of our old co-hosts to give us an update on where life has taken them in the last little while. And it's Amanda's turn today. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Jean. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I've missed your voice. I just, I'm so glad that you were able to do this. We have like not caught up in way too long. So I'm really excited. I have no idea what you're going to tell me. I can't wait. <laughs> cannot wait to hear what's been going on for you these last few years. So yeah, I know. First, oh, I miss you. Uh, I know. And I, you know, it was so much fun when we were able to do this as that we used to do it every Sunday night and, um, no matter what happened, you know, we were all managed to get to the phone lines on Sunday night and, and record something, but it just got so crazy. And I have a feeling that that's been your life these last few years has, I mean, it, it, you've been busy, right? I mean, that's why you're not oh, here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. It's been crazy. It's been really crazy. I, um, so uh, I think about the time when I, you know, I said, okay, I have to, I have to give it a break is uh, I was moving my company and that's just a huge undertaking. And I just, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't manage it. And, and I was, you know, I have to say I was, I, I was so torn because I just think the bubble hour is so important and um, I have to, uh, it, and so I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, say I wanted to, you know, that I wanted to step down because I wanted the show to continue on, but you know, we talked to you, me, you, and Ellie, and and Catherine, and and you know, and you said you would continue it on. And I just have to say, Jean, I can't thank you enough for Aww. continuing on the show. And um, it's so important to so many people. And I have I have some cool, a couple of cool stories to tell you um, along those lines. That it was just the best feeling in the world. But. You know, I really hesitated to step down, but you do, you know, you have to practice self-care. And it was, I found that it was stressing me out more than it was helping me. And that I didn't want that to come through to the listeners because that's not fair to anyone. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, you know, I, I'm, you know, I've, my job is very demanding and, you know, I don't want that to be a priority and it, uh, well, I think it has to be a priority, but, you know, my recovery is still number one to me, but um, you know, just the insanity of how crazy my life has been for, you know, a couple of years now is, um, it's, it's all great. Everything's been going really well, but I, I, I don't have a lot of free time. Um, so, (laughs) but you know, what's funny is, so, uh, so at that time I was doing the move and that was crazy. I was also rolling out a new software at my company. And so I had two huge projects that I was working on. And I successfully did both of those and everything went great. And, um, you know, I got back to more of a normal pace in life, except for I still have, I, I'm still, I still have the same boyfriend that I had back then. And he lives a half hour from me and in order to, and he's allergic to my house. So <laughs> <laughs> like the strangest thing. He was allergic to poor Penny, who I had to let go a year ago, which was heartbreaking to me. She was my, you know, she was almost 15 years old and she was my baby. Um, but was, um, What kind of a dog is Penny? Penny is a greyhound. Right. And so she was a rescue greyhound and she was just my love. And, you know, she was just so, she was just getting so old and having a hard time. So I had to let her go, but, and it broke my heart. Uh, but I thought, you know, that was why my boyfriend couldn't live in the house because he's allergic to dogs, but now it's something else going on with my house. So I also just have a crazy life with managing, you know, spending time with him and, 
you know, either he has to, he'll come by here for a short amount of time because he can't breathe and, or I go there after work. And so it's, you know, life has just been hectic. It's been all positive things, but very hectic. Well, um, but uh, let's right talk now, about your job I have to just, just a little bit. Let me ask you quickly about your job because you yeah. are, I don't know if listeners know this, um, but you're a tech wizard, right? Like <laughs> you, you are a senior management, senior exec, which I'm not sure where you're at yeah. right now, but like, you're kind of a big deal. You always play it down, but you're kind of a big deal. And you're, <laughs> it, you have a really cool job and you look after a lot of stuff. Like you have an amazing capacity to get things done. So when you say you, you don't have time because you're working a lot, like you are round the clock. I mean, your phone goes off all the time, right? I mean, with tech, it's constant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I don't, I'm, I manage the IT department, so I don't have to answer help desk calls. So I don't get that as much anymore. And I've really, I, um, because of the demands of other things in my life, I had to let other people handle those things. And so, you know, I'll see the emails come through and I, I have to ignore them, which drives me insane, but, um, because I just want to jump on it, fix it immediately. And if people take more than a half hour, I'm like, okay, guys, you know, you, are you going to get on this or do I have to fix it? <laughs> um, but I, I have, it, I have learned, uh, you know, I've had to, you know, have apply some balance to work too. I just, I can't do it all, um, mm-hmm. because I have other responsibilities and, you know, they're, you know, the help desk tickets, fixing, fixing someone's, you know, certain things on their computer that I let the techies, you know, the, our help desk people handle that. And I'm really the the implementation manager. So kind of all things software and knowing how things work, the ins and outs of that. And so that's, it's more of a, it's a different type of skill set. And, but it, it is, it's, it's incredibly demanding. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, so, and right now, this is um, kind of a funny story in a way. So my, the president of my company, uh, well, I should say, I, uh, last, a year ago, no, it was this past fall. So almost a year ago, there was this, it was made national news. There was this terrible incident ha- that happened in Massachusetts where um, some gas lines were overpressurized and it, um, it blew up about 40 homes in three towns and a bunch of homes were catching on fire. And it was just this it's a terrible tragedy. I mean, um, it, it's sad. One person lost, lost their life. Um, it's also, it's amazing that only one person lost, lost their life, but this whole area in our state was without gas for months. And the governor tapped the president of my company on the shoulder and asked him to manage the recovery effort. So it's called the recovery effort, which was, it's a little ironic. And um, so for (laughs) phase one, um, he managed, um, basically, we had to get everyone heat before the winter hit. And he he didn't have anyone at my company involved in the project. It was just him overseeing it and... You know, they they tapped on him because he's a retired um, Commodore in the, from the Navy, and he was in the CB's division, which is the construction division, and he knows how to handle these things, and he knows the governor. So he took care of that, and then phase um, after the, the the winter was over, they had a phase. You know, they had to put some temporary heating in for people, and so phase two of the project is they need to. Um, truly fixed the heating systems in 892 homes. And um, I, like I said, I rolled out this software when I, back when, about the time I left the bubble hour and my, the president said, oh, I think this would be good on this project. So they um, had me show it to the people that were working on this project. They said, we love it. We want to use it. And I haven't left that project, so I have this whole job back in my office, and I'm working up on this recovery project, and it's fast and furious. We have six months to um, make 892 homes well again, and um, it's just crazy. I'm working 
10, 12, 14 hour days. I just got, I just walked in the door actually after I was there at seven this morning and that's kind of a normal day. Wow. So that's like a 13 hour day. It's been, it's been crazy, but it's, um, it's really rewarding doing this. You know, I'm helping people. It's a different type of helping people. Um, but I, I, I really, you know, I love the work that we're doing and it's exciting doing a, you know, a new challenge. So are you that's rebuilding all those homes? Is that what's happening there? Are you rebuilding no, them entirely? No, that, that's a separate, um, they're in the, the, I think those homes, that's a separate project. So we're just replacing the heating and hot water systems of these oh, homes. that's huge. And just, just for perspective for um, listeners, so I'm, I'm a retired home builder. My husband and I own a home building business. And over the course of 25 years in business, we build about 650 homes. So if you're dealing with 800 plus houses. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, and it's, it's really, I mean, it's great. Some of the work that they're doing to the, um, the company that, you know, the gas company, they're making homes right. So they're not just going in and sticking a heater in and walking away. You know, they're doing, um, we're doing testing for asbestos on these homes and, you know, they're doing like an incredible amount of asbestos um, abatement, so removing, so for people who don't know that, asbestos causes cancer, um, it causes um, mesothelioma, I just know that from the commercials, but, you know, it's really bad to have in your home, and so, you know, they're finding it in all these homes, and they're getting rid of that, and they're, um, replace, you know, replacing the heating and the hot water systems, and uh, they're just doing a really nice job of taking care of these people, which, you know, they they, they went through some really horrible times, you know, uh, this past fall. So, so do you feel like you're giving incredible. service through your work? Does that sort of feed it, your, your service piece of your recovery? It does. It does. You know, I'm, I feel, you know, despite the hours that I'm working, I feel really charged by it where, you know, sometimes – you know, your job can get a little bit mundane. It's like a new challenge, and I just love that we're helping people. And I, I do go a little bit crazy. It's funny, this um, this this company, uh, you know, it was an accident that happened. Accidents do happen, and they're in the news, like, every day. And I know the people that are working on this project, and I know how much they care and how much they have personally done to help people. Um, and it just drives me crazy a little bit that the media just bashes them all the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, we know we're doing a good service for people. And, you know, quite honestly, some of the work that we're doing, these people would have never been able to do. They just, their home, they would have never been able to do these things to make their homes well. So um, I just, I think that's, it's, it's just, it's, it does. It feels really good to help people. Can we talk about the boyfriend a little bit? Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> so we we just celebrated five years. It's it's kind of wow. crazy. Yeah, and um, we're working really hard on figuring out a way so that he can move in with me. And um, we're you know we're just really happy. We um, you know we have lots of fun together. We've always done that. We go to a million concerts every year. We're, we've gone to our first one. We saw Leonard Skinner on their farewell tour, which is okay. Make fun of me, but you know I'm old. <laughs> I love them, and uh, we're going. We have a concert this week. I'm, I, I'm actually taking two days off of work, which is horrifying to me. Um, and you know, we have our full lineup uh, uh, for the summer, and we just, you know, we have a lot of fun. Can you tell us how you met? Yes, we met in the rooms. We met in AA, and. Um, yeah, we just uh, we met in a meeting. I guess he had actually come to. I had um, hosted a uh, one of the coolest things that AA does for those who um, it, you know are hesitant to go. It, one thing I loved about it is we used to have a New Year's Eve dance every, uh, every year, and one year I volunteered to host it and chair it. And so I, um, what they do is they have a speaker meeting before the dance. And um, people bring food. It's like a potluck. People bring food. We buy some food. Um, and there's a meeting at the beginning of the night where there's usually a, a, uh, a male speaker and a female speaker, and they talk for about a half hour. So I just chaired that. 
And then after that, you put the chairs away and then it's a dance. And so I know for me, um, at the New Year's Eve dance, my first year sober, I was like this, I was like, how do I dance sober? This is really strange to me. And it was the best thing ever. Um, you know, I was like, I can dance and I'm not going to fall down. And I just love it. You know, I just got, uh, got over myself and just got up there and danced all night. But, um, he was actually pretty new to recovery and he was at that, he came to the meeting, he saw me, um, and I think I had met him years before he, uh, he saw me and he, he liked what he saw, but he didn't say anything to me. And then, uh, you know, like a week later, I saw him in a meeting and I just started getting to know him and we started dating. It, it, you know, we just, uh-huh. we kept crossing paths. Yeah. So it was, you know, really nice. And, um, you know, we, 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 we go well together. Yeah. That's so yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you have made space for that in your busy life because, you know, I feel like that's important. Um, and I love that you have a partner who's sober with you and doing the same program. I think that's great. And are you still active in the program? I, I you know, I'm actually, I was thinking about that. I'm like, I'm going to go on the bubble hour and I'm going to say something. All these years that I talked on the bubble hour, about like, don't stop going to meetings and stuff like that. And I, and I honestly, Jean, I don't go. And I know that's a horrible thing. Um, I feel great. And I, you know, I feel great about my recovery. I feel like, um, and I feel terrible telling people that like in the early days, I went to meetings every single day and I don't have anything against going to meetings. I just, I, I just don't have a lot of free time on my hand. And, and honestly, he he doesn't like going to meetings anymore, and so it's it is no longer you know it, it it's not being a shared activity for us. And not that I couldn't just go on my own, and I did for a long time. It it really just kind of and and I, I'll tell the listeners be careful of this. You know, I I I'm very solid in my recovery, but um, yeah, I don't I don't I haven't gone to meetings and. Quite a while. I mean, I've gone to a few here and there, and I work with um, my friend Lisa Yu, who has been on the show a couple times. She is um, someone who I basically I got sober with, and she uh, she just started working back in my company, and she still goes to meeting, and and she gives me a hard time about it all the time. She's like, "Oh, you're gonna talk on the bubble hour? You don't go to meetings anymore." <laughs> but, but you know, I've also learned, like, I, I, you know, I just live recovery. I, you know, I, um, as most people know, I'm very open about my recovery and I just live and breathe it. I, I you know, I'm sober. I, I tell people, I feel like everyone I meet, somehow they know that I'm in recovery within a half hour of knowing me. And I, and it's not because I just go around going, Hey, guess what? I'm in recovery. It just, it, to me, it's a natural. It's just who I am. It comes up in conversation. You know, I guess people are always saying, "Oh, we'll have to go out, you know, for a drink," and I say, "Oh, I don't drink," and uh, and they're like, "Really?" And and you know, I'll say something like, "Yeah, you know, it doesn't work for me," and they're, and they're like, "Oh, good for you." And you know, then somehow it'll come up in a different conversation, and I usually share a little bit of my story and, um, yeah, I just I, I you know I just kind of. It's just who I am. I I can't for the life of me fathom drinking ever again. <laughs> Not that you know I don't. I, I'm very conscious about you know you know uh, things that could put me in danger. Um, but it it's uh, it's just who I it just is who I am today. So tell me some of the things that support your recovery. If you're not going to meetings anymore, and here's the irony, Amanda, you'll find this funny, uh, because when we were on the show together, you were doing 12 steps very regularly. I was not. I now go to meetings once in a while <laughs> in my community, which I didn't used to, and you have not. So it's you know it speaks to the fact that recovery can be fluid, and we talk a lot on the Bubble Hour about the William White. Um, who's sort of the, the um, he talks about uh, ad, 
the new recovery advocacy. So there's a website called the yeah. William White Papers, and he's kind of a, a forward-thinking guy when it comes to recovery. And he talks about patchwork recovery. And okay, that's fine. There's no prescribed way to do it. Go for abstinence-based recovery and and apply a bunch of different things that support it. So what are some of the things in your life, traditional or not traditional, that help you stay sober? Well, so this is this is the coolest. So this recovery project is an hour from my house, and so is my job. But my job, it never occurred to me to do this. But, well, I'm not, you know, I'm driving up to a different area, and it's all highway, and I get really irritated with the radio. And you had emailed and said, you know, do I want to be on the show? So I was, so I was driving home, and I'm like, I should listen to the Bubble Hour and catch up on it. And I have to tell you, you're doing an awesome job, Dean. I've listened to <laughs> I listen every day on my way home. And I just love it because it, I don't know if it, if you if you're still this way, but when we were when we were on the show, I never listened to the show. I didn't want to hear myself talk. I didn't, you know, I I loved listening listening to you guys, but I didn't want to hear me. So yeah. typically, yeah. I think we all said that none of us listened to the show. We were just well, glad we to it, hear that it was right? helping people. <laughs> what they, yeah. yeah, and we like it's it would be like having a conversation and then playing it back, like we've already had the conversation. So yeah, I don't usually listen back to it. So that's true. Oh, that's so funny. So now the bubble hour is a patch in your patchwork. <laughs> it is, it is. And I, and you know, and, and, and I, I'm still on the bubble hour cause I have plenty of episodes to go and I know there's other podcasts out there, but I just love it. And, and I just, you know, I have to say, you know, Ellie and Lisa, when they came up with the idea, I remember when Ellie told me about it. I'm like, you guys are absolutely crazy. And then they're like, oh, but you're going to be on the show. (laughs) I was like, no, I'm not. I don't do that. I don't do public speaking in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, so they suckered me into it being the technical advisor. And um, (laughs) and then I ended up being on the show. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I I listened to that. I mean, I, I, you know, all of the things that I learned, I mean, I was – um, and, and actually, I, I wanted to tell you that I when I heard you say that you're going to meetings, I was like, no way, that is the <laughs> coolest, because you really were terrified, and I'm so, I'm so proud of you, and I, and I don't mean that in like a condescending way, like, you really were like, my town, I can't go, and I'm just so proud of you that you're just like, you know what, this is what I need, and I'm doing it, and that that is awesome. And it sounds like you're getting a lot out of it, too. I really like it. Yeah, it's really nice. And, you know, here's the funny thing. So the town I live in is about 100,000 people. And anyone that lives in a town this size, no matter where you are, you'll understand. If you own a business in a small city, you, you are like, you know, you are Joe from the tire shop and Betty from the coffee shop. And, and so I was you know, I was really well known in my community and I was really protective of that. Well, and I knew everybody and I grew up here. I go to this meeting and there are 12, 15 women. I have never seen any of them before in my life. And it really made me realize like how ego, um, how alcohol leverages our ego and makes us think like, oh, you can't go do that. Everyone will know who you are. And I mean, I might know a lot of people in this town, but I don't know all of them. And even if I did, it wouldn't matter. It would be, you know, quite lovely to encounter someone, you know, in a whole new way. So it has been a great experience. Well, that's so funny. That just makes me so happy that you're listening. That's great. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's incredible. And I, you know, and I, and I, I was just, uh, I was so happy to hear, you know, so many voices and I just, um, I just listened to Nancy, who was just on, and she was talking about the bubble hour party that we had. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that was that. So that was a, the one and only time you and I have met, um, mm-hmm. and that was incredible. You know, we had a um, for the listeners who don't know, we Jean, Catherine, Ellie, and I had never met, so we decided to have a meetup, and we rented uh, a VBRO and. Um, in Jamaica Plain, and the four of us hung out for a weekend, and since there's so many local listeners, we invited them over, and we had a bubble hour party, and it was so cool. 
for those of you that don't know, because I didn't know, Jamaica Plain is in Boston. And I flew to Boston in February, and it was cold as <laughs> F. And we couldn't leave our little apartment because it was so cold. Remember, Amanda, we like ran yeah. across the street three times a day to get food from Whole Foods. And then the rest of the time, we were just <laughs> indoors in our pajamas talking from 7 a.m. till like two in the morning for about four days straight and at the end of it we had a potluck supper and it was so cool so cool and we'd been doing the show for years and hadn't met in person Catherine and I had met by a real fluke because I happened to be in her hometown um, right before we both started the show and you're like hey you guys are both like going to be hosts you should really go meet up so we did um, but anyway, that, that's so funny. And I, it's weird to me when you say that, that it's the one and only time we met because I swear you're my cousin or my best friend or you know, know. girl next door. <laughs> I'm sure I've known you your whole life. <laughs> I know. I, you know, when I saw your email, I, I mean, I just lit up. I was like, oh, my God, Jean, I miss her so much. And, and I was just I was thinking about Catherine. I haven't talked to her since. You know, we've been on the show together, and I miss her. Uh, you know, it's just incredible, like, like the bonds that we build in recovery. I mean, obviously, Ellie, I've known her forever. I still, I don't see her, I don't see her that often. I saw her a couple months ago because her brother had an, uh, an engagement party. But I hadn't, you know, we talk here and there, but we're, you know, we don't even see each other that much. Because um, that's life when you get older, unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. Even, I mean, I'm sure even if you lived up the street from one another, you still wouldn't get to visit as much as you'd like to. It's just, it's uh, oh, a no, hectic I'm life. Oh, no, I'm on her. <laughs> <laughs> At your convenience. Yeah. <laughs> and your, your like, oh. dad was on our show on Father's Day years ago. And uh, Frank was one of the favorite, favorite all-time guests that we've had. Um, how's he doing? He's doing great. I just, uh, obviously I talked to him yesterday for Father's Day and he's just, he's happy. He's up in, you know, up in, he's still up in Vermont and, um, he's doing fantastic. He's just a happy guy. I love him. He's, he's just, I'm so lucky. And I told yeah. him that yesterday. I called him up and said, I'm just so lucky. Ah. Well, knowing that is, is half the trick, isn't it? Of just looking at your life and, and appreciating the people that have been there for you and have been and continue to be really solid and supportive. Just taking the time to stop and look around and count our blessings in terms of people around us. That's, that's really important to do. Don't you find? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I, I mean, I, I am really lucky. I think about it when, you know, I got sober, I had him and I had Ellie and, you know, I had, you know, there was, you know, that that was those, they were my rocks to begin with. And then I just met this incredible community of so many people. And, you know, I feel like any single one of them, I could call up any day and, you know, they would help me out and I would do the same. So what are you doing to look after yourself? So besides going to concerts with your fun boyfriend, um, are you doing any like fitness or massage or I can't see you doing yoga, but maybe I know you're a great cook. (laughs) Um, What are, what are some of the things you do just for yourself? Well, right now with this project, unfortunately nothing and it's driving me crazy. So, I mean, I do just, you know, I just, veg out sometimes. I mean, that sounds so silly, but I, I mean, I, I allow myself to just sit and I, and, and just relax and not worry about it. Like, I think I took my yard, uh, was the grass needed to be mowed two weeks before I mowed it because I'm just like, you know what? I worked 80 hours this week. The grass can wait. So, you know, I, I do stuff like that. I, I, you know, I'm re I don't go crazy about um, having to do every last thing that I have to do. And I, I don't know if them <clears throat> back in my drinking days, I was uh, a major workaholic. And so I'm very aware, I'm very aware that this type of work behavior is not sustainable and it's not any way that I'm ever going to continue to be. 
But right now it's just what I need to do. Um, I'm training some people to help me out. So this isn't going to go on for, you know, too much longer, a couple more weeks, but I haven't been able to exercise and it's driving me. I was never a, a huge exercise person, but my boyfriend got me into it and I'm turning 50 in July and oh, I <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, you know, I really wanted to be like in the best shape I could be for 50 and it's just not happening right now, but you know, I'm doing the little bit that I can. I, um, I, I think maybe tomorrow if it isn't raining, I'm going to go for a walk before I go to work. That's one thing it's on my bucket list of things to start doing is just going for a walk. I love walking and um, it's about the only time I have to myself is an hour in the morning and an hour before bed. And that's just the reality right now. (laughs) Wow. That's a, that's a crazy pace. So when you said you were working 80 hours a week, I was like, how many hours are in a week? So 24 times seven is 168. So you are working, you know, almost literally half your life right now. And that's too much. That's really too much. Um, So Dr. Jean orders you to cut back. (laughs) And you probably have a commute time on top of that. Like, I'm guessing you're not sleeping for 10 hours a night or anything right now. No, I'm sleeping about four hours a night. And it's it's, (gasps) it's not, it's, it's not good. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, at five. Yeah, no, I get up at four. I go to bed at ten or eleven. So four, at five to six hours a night. Um, wow. I've had a couple of four-hour nights, and I did this past weekend. I I did my. I have to do a report six days a week, um, and but that it only took me twenty minutes on Saturday, and that's the only work I did this weekend. Up until then, every weekend I've worked at least a full day. If and like, to, and I've had many nights where I, <clears throat> I call my boyfriend and I say, "Sorry, hon, I'm not. Uh, I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, I got to work till 10. And um, and it's it you know, but that I like I said, I'm training someone. Actually, his daughter it works for me. She's um, doing an internship with my company for her fifth summer. And I, uh, so she's working on the project with me and I'm training her, which that's pretty cool too. Like being a mentor for his daughter and, you know, teaching her the ropes and teaching her not, and I always tell her, don't be crazy like me. Don't work these kind of hours. You know, you work hard, do a good job, but you know, what I'm doing right now is not sustainable, but it's also only temporary. Okay, because I feel like this update has just turned into a cautionary tale, a step-by-step of how to relapse. Stop going to meetings, work 80 hours a week, sleep four nights, four hours a night. Okay, listen, do not do anything that Amanda is doing right now. We love her, and I, we're glad she's sober. But I know, I was thinking about that, Jane. I am breaking all the rules right now. And oddly, I, you know, I am, uh, I don't, you know, I don't feel at all like out of sorts. I'm, I'm actually in a really good place because, I'm, and why I don't know, because I'm just of who I am, I guess. I, it, you know, it, it, I, I'm tired some days, but, you know, so then I, so I rest. I, you know, so I, you know. I do take care of myself. You know, I know I have to do this work. I put it in perspective. I don't let it drive me crazy. I just do the work. And then, you know, I don't have any problem on a Saturday doing absolutely nothing and just, you know, resting or talking to my friends or, you know, just relaxing. Good, good, good. Okay. And when we do an update with you, say, a couple months down the road, you're promise me you're going to come on and tell me that you're like doing yoga on the front lawn and tapping therapy and, and um, yeah, taking, taking good care of yourself because you deserve it. But I almost feel like from what you've said before, you've, you've integrated your recovery so much into your life that it all kind of bleeds together. It sounds like that for you that it's yeah. all it's kind of how you live and breathe and um and that that's one benefit don't you find of being 
open about it. And I understand reasons why people need to keep it, you know, in a time slot um, if their life doesn't offer them room to be open about their recovery and integrate it into everything they do. Um, But it's just a different way, I guess, for some people is to say like, you know what, I kind of need to, I need to um, keep my recoveries to like 7 p.m. meetings or 7 a.m. meetings and then go and do what I do and then go back to my next meeting versus people like I'm, I'm actually very similar to you, not in the, in the hours that I work cause I'm retired now and it's fantastic. Let me tell you, but definitely <laughs> like, it's like, it's all recovery all day long. Like it's, it's just such a big part of my life. It's nonstop. I mean, my phone just goes nonstop with posts, emails, responses, letters. And I, I just feel like it's just, it's just always there for me. And it's so lovely to have that. Yeah, I I agree, and you know, um, it is it it is so ingrained with in me that it is like you said. It's I do live and breathe it. It's it it's a part of who I am, and it's a part of my identity. And um, and it, you know, but that also comes from I put a lot of hard work in early on in my recovery. Not that you. You know, I'm say, I'm advocating for. Oh, you should stop doing that. You know, do you know? In five years, go ahead, stop going to meetings. I don't. I don't feel that way at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's. I guess it's it, you know, I, I, I did the hard work, so it it became it's a part of who I am. I, I do think that being open does add a lot to it, and I did that intentionally um, early on in my recovery and where I was in a situation where my workplace, you know, is very, very much has drinking culture. And so when I went back to work, I didn't want to have to, I was nervous about like, how am I going to deal with all these people offering me drinks? You know, I'm not going to be pushing the beer cart anymore on Fridays. How am I going to deal with going back to work into this culture where, you know, alcohol is talked about all the time and, you know, and not, not to say that I work with a bunch of alcoholics cause I don't, I work with a bunch of normal drinkers and I used to just get carried away with it. So when I went back to work, I was very open about my sobriety and, um, you know, it has served, served me very well. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but I have just found it has made my life so much easier in so many ways. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example. So I mentioned the software that I rolled out. They have a big conference every year. And um, the past two years, it's been in Austin, Texas. And so I go every year and it is this incredible, it's a conference. So it's this incredible party. And the software is like, they're, they're amazing. The, The first one of the years they had vanilla ice and tone loaf for entertainment and they had a mechanical bowl and they had like people on stilts walking around and just like <laughs> anything that you could possibly think of. They had like a donut wall with all these crazy donuts and people doing custom poems and it's just off the charts fun and, you know, and open bar the whole time. And I, you know, I went to this conference and, you know, there was one year I was alone. My, my boss wouldn't send anyone with me. So I'm there by myself, which, you know, we, you know, we alcoholics just love being loners. We like, I, you know, for me, you know, I already feel awkward enough. And then I'm going to a conference with 3000 people and I, but, um, I knew some people from the year before and, um, you know, so the people that I knew from the year before coaxed me into riding that mechanical bull, which I have on video. And um, Austin is a city of live music, which is my favorite thing. And um, we would go out to the bars because that's what it is and see, you know, you'd go walk down 6th Street in Austin and there, every other bar has live music on a Tuesday night. And so we're talking like 10 10 bars with live music. And I have always, for whatever reason, I don't recommend it for men, for a lot of people, but that doesn't, it doesn't bother me being around a bar or alcohol. I've, you know, done it. Um, I didn't do anything like that for the first year or two of my sobriety. 
Um, but I, it, it doesn't bother me being in that environment. And, you know, I went out with, with all the, the people that were drinking and, you know, they'd offer me a drink and I'd say, no, thanks. I don't drink. And by the end of the night, they're, they're saying, I can't believe you don't drink. And, you know, I was out having fun. I danced on the bar at Coyote Ugly and, you know, I did all the things that, I used to do when I was drinking, but I didn't fall down. I didn't make a fool out of myself, and I remembered it the next day. Right. Um, <laughs> and and I love I love being sober for that reason. Like I do everything that I used to do, except for I don't drink. I don't. Mm-hmm. I you know. It, but I also t- I took my time to do those things. I didn't jump right in and say, "Oh, I'm going to go hang out at a bar." At a bar, I got sober last week. I I spent a I, you know, the first time I ever went out, I had a plan. You know, what am I going to do? It, it you know, if I feel uncomfortable, and you know, the plan was you just leave. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't feel that way um, because I'm so open. No one's ever pressured me to drink um and people usually just they're they usually have a lot of admiration for the fact that i don't drink um so how long have you been sober now how many Um, years have you been sober? august will be nine years so wow yeah it goes by fast doesn't it It, and it does just for just for reminder you went to rehab when you your family had an intervention i'm remembering and and Mm -hmm. you went to rehab didn't you when you got yeah yeah when i i mean when i got sober i mean it's kind of hard for me to to ever think about drinking again because i you know i hear i've heard you know i've been listening a lot and a lot of people have these lovely high bottoms well i didn't I, um, I had been arrested three times. So, uh, for drunk driving. And the last time I was arrested was August 22nd, 2010. And, um, I, that was a Sunday night. The next day I had to go to court and I had to, in order to stop shaking, to go to court, I drank a warm skunked beer in my garage so I could stop shaking to go to court, which that's just disgusting to me. And then I went to court, came home, um, laid down on the couch, and I probably did a very dangerous thing, which is detox by myself over uh, the course of that day. And although I think at noon, around noon, I snuck another skunked beer. And then that was my last beer ever. Um that night, Ellie and Lisa and my dad and my friends and family, they all came into my house and they gave me an intervention. And as soon as I saw my dad, he was the first one to get there. I said, I'll go. And then everyone else came tiptoeing in because they were afraid because I was I'm known to uh, tell people. <laughs> and they came in and I was like, I'm going, I'm going. And they were so relieved. They had been kind of delaying getting to my house, but... The next day, I checked myself into detox. So Ellie came over, and I, I called um, different facilities, and I was very fortunate to get a bed. It's, it's sad. I think it's better, a little better today. Not much because I've helped some people. Um, so I, I'm not completely out of the loop. I've, I've helped some people um, get into programs, but. Um, I was able to get into a detox that day. I went into that. I was there for six days. And then when I got out, I did an outpatient program rather than staying in for 30 days because I thought I was going to go back to work, which was just stupid in hindsight. But I I was terrified of losing my job. And um, so I did the out. I ended up talking to my boss and I was out of work for five weeks on short-term disability and I did the outpatient program and then I had a couple of court cases because I was on probation for a drunk driving when I got arrested for a drunk driving. Not a good situation to be in. And um, so I, I had to do some court order things. I had to go away to a um, inpatient uh, rehab for two weeks that was court-ordered and not very nice at all. And I had to do an outpatient program for a year. I did AA every day. I 
did, uh, and I and I took jobs in AA. I was secretary. I chaired meetings. I uh, was a treasurer for um, one meeting, and I just threw myself into recovery with all my heart. And um, you know, I heard someone talking recently, and and you may have experienced this too about, you know, a lot of people they they get concerned with AA because they talk about some people in AA talk about God a lot, you know, it's in the big book. And, um, you know, I've never been a religious person, but I went and I listened and I did everything that people told me to do. And I took it all in and I accepted things for how they were. And I learned to have my own higher power and do all the things that were recommended from me because the one thing I was smart, but I knew that I was, um, one thing I did not know how to do was get sober. And mm-hmm. so I just listened to everything that people told me to do and did everything that they told me to do and followed the program and, and just, and just kept going until it just became a part of who I am, like I said. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of that too, is I had a breathalyzer because of my, uh, I, first of all, I lost my license for a year and a half. That'll stick with you. And then um, when I did get it back, <laughs> when I did get it back, I had a breathalyzer for almost three years. So, oh, wow. um, so recovery for me was pretty much, you know, it was, it, you know, really, really, uh, it's really important to me to never go back to that place again. It's something that. <laughs> I don't hold shame over who I was. I, uh, I have, um, I've forgiven that girl who I was and I have, you know, empathy for her. And I also know that I never want to be her again. I was always a good person, but I did, uh, you know, I did some bad things and, um, I just never want to go back there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You fought hard to be where you're at today. I can see yeah, how I you want to hang on to that. And, um, and when you've had a um, drunk driving conviction, you can't come to Canada for like 10 years or some crazy thing, right? So yeah. that's like, you know, that, that's one reason not to re- relapse right there because you need, I mean, you need to be able to come to Canada. That's where I am. <laughs> I know. I have to come visit you sometime. I was thinking about that. I'm like, I can't go see Jean. And, and it's funny. I, I actually, I had LASIK surgery in Canada because it's um it's a good deal up there and um they actually have been doing it longer than the United States so it's actually they know they uh they're at least when I did it they were known for being better at it so mm-hmm. I went up to Canada my my mom my mom drove me up there and I went to Montreal and had it done and I was like I can't do that right now <laughs> that's pretty bad yeah and I I can laugh about it now but it yeah yeah, I, I did. I, I, I went through you, some hard times getting sober. You did. You fought hard for it. You did. But you're feisty. And you, um, I feel like when you decide you're going to do something, by God, it gets done. And um, so when you set your mind to recovery, you just got it done. I mean, it just things get done when Amanda's around, let me tell you. Do you have <laughs> triggers ever? Or do you ever have cravings? Like, have you ever sort of been surprised. I remember you talking about one time you accidentally had some tiramisu and your brain was all lit up all day long. Have you ever found yourself like in a situation where you're kind of surprised by a craving? Um, I, I actually haven't, which I, I know that sounds weird. Um, and like I said, I, I, I actually have another friend from high school. Um, so in high, it actually, she, yeah, she went to high school with us for a couple of years, and um, she was wild in junior high, and then even more wild in high school. Like, I was afraid of her, and she's this teeny little thing. And we we bumped into each other in sobriety, and it turns out she got sober when she was, like, 21 or 22. And But she's, she's a little bit, like, uh, you know, a little crazy like me, like, likes going out. And she's been sober for, uh, I think, 20, almost 30 years now. 
and um, no, 20, 28. She just, the last anniversary I went to of hers was, uh, she was 25 years sober. But so she's been sober for a long time. And her and I, I, I haven't for a while because I haven't, I actually haven't had much of a social life, life except for with my boyfriend, which I need to do more with my girlfriends too. It's just, just where life has been right now. Um, but uh, do her and I used to go out all the time. And, you know, go sit, her boyfriend was in a band and we'd go out to bars all the time. And we would just sit there and, you know, we're at, you know, we're at the bar and the, and we just get soda water. I'm, I'm not at all triggered that I don't know why. Um, uh, because I know that a lot of people can't even, my boyfriend doesn't like to go on a bar. He, he, if we go to a restaurant that has a bar, I'm very, if, you know, if there's no seating, I'm very comfortable eating at the bar. He'll wait for a table. He does not want to sit at the bar. He just he doesn't like it. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't I, like it myself that much. Yeah, I don't like being and, around and other I, people that are drinking. That, that I, I can handle it. Like if if we're at a dinner and other people at the table are drinking, I can handle it for a while. But as soon as anybody gets sloppy, I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Gotta yeah. go right now. <laughs> but it, it does get you. tiring. Mm-hmm. Ellie and I went to our um, reunion. So it was our 30th year reunion a couple of years ago. And, and this other friend, too. We all went to it together. And so here we are, the three sober chicks, and we're the only sober chicks in the whole place. And, you know, so we all we went out to dinner first. We hung out. We had a great time doing that. And then we went to the reunion. We had fun. And about 11 o'clock, when people started getting loppy, sloppy and repeating themselves, we left. You know, yeah. so... Yeah, I don't. I'm not a big fan of it either. Like I said, that conference that I go that I go to for work, you're kind of you're out with people, and you know, and people get ridiculous on those things, and so I I just kind of laugh at it, and I don't I don't let it get to me. I mean, I think that's one thing that's important is, um, and I think it's important. You know, my advice to listeners is I don't look at people and say, oh, I wish I was drinking and, or I've had a bad day. I've been working a million hours. I deserve a drink. I, the, like, I look at, I don't, I don't think about what I'm, I never have thought about what I'm missing. I think about what I'm gaining. Like I could not do what I'm doing for my job right now if I were drinking because I would be hungover. I wouldn't be functioning. I couldn't, I couldn't be, I, I could not do what I'm doing right now. I couldn't. And I was a very high functioning alcoholic. My alcoholism did not interfere with my work, but I know if I were still drinking today, it would, it absolutely would because I was on, I was on a really, uh, steep slope. I was, I was declining fast. I didn't, I couldn't see it. But I was declining very fast. So if someone came to you at work and said, Amanda, I know you're sober. I think I have a drinking problem and I don't know what to do. What would your words to them be? Well, I have done that. <laughs> and um, my words to them would be, um, you know, uh, would you, uh, well, first I would ask them if they would like me to take them to a meeting. But even though I don't go, I wouldn't mind going. Um, I would talk to them about it and I would tell them about how, what it has done for me to get sober because I'm not going to tell someone what they need to do, what, you know, the best way that you can help someone is share your experience, strength and hope, which is what we've done on the bubble hour for years. And um, so I would tell them about that. I would offer them solutions and I would be them, be there for them. And I, you know, I, um, one thing that's really cool with my job too, especially with Lisa coming back. So Lisa is an executive and, um, Lisa in between, in the time that she, you know, after she got sober, she went on to get certified as a recovery coach. And, um, even though my job is, they know I've, I'm sober and, you know, I don't have the credentials that she has as far as, you know, being a recovery coach and a certified interventionist. Um, but um, with her back, or even before she came back, knowing that she was sober because she um, 
you know, was open about her recovery too. Um, we, we've had a couple of situations where we've tried to help people at work and my, my company has actually been very proactive about, um, construction is, has one of the highest rates of opioid overdoses. And, um, so we, we had Dr. Kelly, remember we've had him on the show. Oh yeah. Uh, he's brilliant. A, I love him. And so he's local to us. That's how we, we got him. Ellie and I went and met him at, um, he works at a mass general. It's a separate, um, uh, organization that he has, but it's associated with mass general. So, um, we had him come in and speak on, on, um, the science of addiction and in, so we have a monthly training. So we had him come in and do that. And we also had a uh, paramedic come in and do Narcan training. And we actually had a situation where it needed to be used on a job site. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're, um, it's really cool. I was talking to Lisa about this, like we're trying to be as a company, I think because of um, over the years, there's been situations where we've, there's been, people who have had their performance has suffered due to their drinking and people have asked my opinion and I'm like, well, we need to get, get that person some help. You know, you really need to tell them that you're, you're going to allow them to be out of work just like you did for me, you know, allow me to take care of myself, give them an opportunity to get better. You know, I, I, I would talk to them about what to do and they, you know, they didn't really get it. And, you know, something shifted, I think, when they had me and, you know, they had me already. But then when Lisa came on board, she really advocated um, for bringing this to the forefront. And I think the article, it was like a headline in the Boston Globe about how how bad this is in the construction industry. And, you know, they couldn't ignore the fact that they had two um, people recovering out loud in their office. And they decided that they wanted to be a different type of employer that actually tries to help people in, you know, not just the people that are suffering, you know, with uh, substance use disorder, but the families that might be impacted and offer them services that can help them get well. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm so proud that they're doing that. Lisa's actually doing another training this Thursday. I'm going to be on vacation, so I won't be there for it, but she's talking about, you know, just um, the power of our voices and, and, you know, talking about the, you know, the language that we use and how it can make a difference. And it was interesting. I I only saw a recording of it because I keep missing these things, which drives me crazy. I was at a pro conference when Dr. Kelly came in, but fortunately they videotaped it. And, um, but even, uh, our COO, when he introduced the speaker, he was saying stuff like, you know, substance abuse. And when he got up at the end, he corrected himself and said substance use disorder. And, you know, it's, it's just really neat to be in a company where they're listening. They recognize that it's not, um, a negative it's not that someone's a bad person. It's that they have a disease and that they're doing things to try to help people and they're changing their perspective on people that may be suffering from, you know, our disease. Well, it sounds like you've had a lot to do with that just by being yourself and living your life the way you do. Yeah. I, I mean, my, we have our website, we have our, you know, we write a little bio about ourselves and, you know, I said, can I put up information about my recovery? And they said, absolutely, please do. And so it says right on our company website, you know, I'm, I've been in recovery, and I have to update it because I think it still says I'm a host of the bubble hour. But, <laughs> you know, it talks about shining strong and the things that we did. And um, Lisa and I were talking. One thing that I think is really cool for you too, Jean, because I think you're, you're, you've been sober just about as long as me, right, just as Maybe mm-hmm. a year eight left. years, eight plus years. Eight years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I think about back when we got sober, there was a lot of stigma, and it was just starting to turn. And we are—I just feel very fortunate to be. You know, I feel like you know, 
both of us, all of us are part of this recovery movement where, where we've worked so hard to change the stigma and help people understand, like, there is nothing to be ashamed about. You know, I've heard, um, you know, there's, you know, and one thing that really occurs to me is the shame that people worry so much about. I think I don't, I never allowed people to be ashamed of me for getting sober. And Mm. because I never left room for that because I've been, it's the hardest and best thing I've ever done for myself. And I've never, like, I feel like if you feel shame, then people will look at you with shame. And, um, and it's not always, I mean, some, but I, 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 I've never allowed that to be part of the conversation. I'm proud of what I've done. If, and if, you know, if other people, if they, if they want to judge me for that, then that's okay. They can, but I know what I've done on the inside and I know how important it is to me. And so I've never left room for that. And I've never had anyone talk down to me when I said, Oh yeah, I'm in recovery. Um, That's so encouraging to hear. And I feel like that comes quite naturally to you. And I love to watch and learn other people, especially people whose instincts are completely different than mine. So my instinct is to hide, protect, you know, (laughs) um, control the narrative. And thank you for being the way you are, because your directness is is an example for people like me who need reminding that it's okay to just tell the truth. It's okay to just ask people to just be uncomfortable if they need to be uncomfortable, but you're going to live your life the way that it honestly is. And I just, I guess that's why podcasts like this are so important, right? So that we can hear the way that other people are doing things. And I love that. And I love how you say you never allowed anyone else to be ashamed of you so that, you know, cause you weren't ashamed and, um, yeah. I love that. I love it. Well, it's been yeah, so I mean, good I, to honestly, catch up just, with you. Oh yes, it has. It has. And I have to say, Dean, I, you know, I remember, I, I remember, you know, at first you were anonymous and then, and, you know, it was a big deal. And I understand why when you, you know, when you came on, you know, you know, there was, it was slow. And then, you know, and, and I just love, you know, hearing you say it's Gene McCarthy and, you know, you're, you're living out loud, you know, you're, I think it's wonderful. And I also think it's wonderful that you did it in your own time. Because I think that's important. You cannot make yourself uncomfortable. I can't, it's so important. Don't think just because, you know, from day one, I'm like, I'm sober. (laughs) Did Did everyone get that? I'm sober. I'm sober over here. That's that's my personality. I I don't know how to I don't know how to hide anything. I I am that it I I am exactly what you see is what you get. <laughs> um, but I also that doesn't come natural to other people, and you I mean you have to be comfortable in what you do. So I I have tons of respect. I'm not telling anyone to go out there and just be like me. That that is who I am. It comes naturally to me, like you said. And, uh, you know, if, you know, if you want to be open, do it at your own pace, do what makes sense for you, do what you're comfortable with. But one thing that I do think is important is, you know, at some time, um, I think the people that do the best, they just kind of, they, they just kind of have full acceptance of who they are and they, they have to, stop feeling shame for themselves. They don't have to tell anyone else. But the biggest thing is, you know, letting go of that shame inside. Like you're not a bad person because you have, you struggle with alcohol or with drugs or whatever, whatever it is, because it can be food. It can be anything. It doesn't make you a bad person. It means you have a disease that you need to take care of. Amanda, I love you and I've missed you. And I want to tell you never change, except I want you to just change a little bit because I want you to not work so much and look after yourself. Yeah. Okay. Will you do that for me? 
I will. <laughs> I, 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 I don't love it. I, you know, there was a time where I loved it and I thrived on this and this. I'm like, okay, when are we getting back to normal? Because this is not manageable. I don't want to do this for a long time. And I am going oh. away this weekend. I have Thursday and Friday off and I'm yeah. not, I besides my stupid report, which takes me it's 20 good. minutes. I'm not working. That's good. That is good. That makes me happy. And thanks for letting me tease you about it a little bit and know that, oh. that uh, well, we can laugh at ourselves, can't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun. All right. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm going to play the closing music. I know we used to do like this awkward goodbye, 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 and then we'd all hang up thing. Finally, I learned how to play closing music so we can say goodbye off air. So <laughs> hang in there. Let me tell the listeners, if you want to say hi to Amanda and make sure that you let her know that you're glad to hear her voice again, send an email to thebubblehour at gmail.com and I will make sure Amanda gets your message. That's all for now, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please take good care. Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From power Weakness head on me In a dark corner Is where shame lies behind We think you're strong it all it just stays and wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you see oh, I did that. Not proud that, that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear. You don't need to whisper to 